All right, all right. Hey, you guys, welcome to Salt. My name is Kyler. You can take a seat. It is good to be with you. I am on staff here. If I haven't met you, yeah, my name is Kyler. I've been on staff for like three years, something like that. Um, I actually went to Cornell College. Any Rams here? Faithful few. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, I, I came to really start to grow in my faith in Salt Company. So getting to just be on Salt staff and see God work in your lives is a huge, huge blessing. It's a joy. I'm excited to uh, be here with you tonight. We're wrapping up our series called Satisfied, and so we've got purpose tonight. We've talked about love and belonging and joy. Where's the guy that just screams joy really loud? Yeah, joy. Come on, you got to do it. All right. That's it. He didn't get that 100 bucks last week, but we've got, we've got purpose tonight. Um, a couple of days ago, I was in a Jimmy John's and uh, waiting for my sandwich. It wasn't actually that freaky fast, if you were wondering, but... Um, basically I'm like, you know, waiting for my sandwich, whatever, looking just around and there's a quote on the wall and it says, if you do the things you need to do when you need to do them, then someday you can do the things you want to do when you want to do them. And I was kind of thinking about, you know, this message and talking about purpose and I was kind of like, I think we, we tend to just live a little bit like that. Like we, we just want to get to this day later on. We would love to just be able to someday do the things that we want to do and not have to do some of the things we, we need to do. We live our life just kind of waiting for a day that would be just more enjoyable. Maybe we would actually change what our purpose is in life or find our purpose in life just to get us to this day that we want to be in because we can't be there yet. Everything that we need to do now is just kind of drudgery. Maybe you want to retire earlier than all your friends. You want to make more money than all your friends. You want to get this thing just simply to be able to say you, you've gotten there. Let me ask you, what's the purpose behind all of the ambitions in your life? Like, what are, what are you really living for? Like, not what would you tell people you live for, but like, what are you really living for? What's the driving force behind all of your goals, all of your dreams? Where is, where is that kind of, what's that source of your dreams? Like, are you just living with your head down, trying to make it to that day later on? Or is it possible that we can find the thing that we need to do can also be the thing we want to do? Those could be together. Like, that you could have a purpose so kind of deeply rooted in just who you are and who God is that when you feel like you chose the wrong major, when you are in the wrong job, you don't have like a completely big, exploded life crisis. Is it possible to have that great of a purpose in life? We're going to be in Matthew 28. We're going to actually go through the whole chapter tonight. So if you have a Bible, turn there. Turn to Matthew 28 with me. It's the first book in the New Testament. We're in the last chapter of the gospel according to Matthew. And we're actually going to spend most of our time in what's called the Great Commission tonight. But like I said, we're going to go through this whole chapter. So we're going to kind of fly through the first part. So buckle up. 
I'm going to read for us actually the first 15 verses. It says, Now after the Sabbath day toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, this is the mother of Jesus, they went to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes, his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly, tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this is what comes, if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. This is the story. This is the gospel, according to Matthew, telling us that Jesus defeated death, that he rose again. Like this is, this is what we celebrate on Easter, and this is, this is true. Jesus is alive. Now, I grew up going, going to church. It was just sort of a thing we did. I wouldn't necessarily say that I liked going to church for much of my life, but um, I came to know Jesus probably right before college, and the fact that Christianity like puts this claim that says Jesus rose from the dead, he is alive, that's something I didn't actually come to really grapple with much until, until I was following Jesus for a little while, and, and that he actually rose from the dead bodily. That was a, kind of a wild thing for me to kind of think, like, do I actually believe this? And I don't know where you're at with this, but tonight... I hope this is actually making you ask that question. First of all, do you know the risen Jesus? And second of all, do you actually believe that he's risen from the dead? So at this point in my life when I'm questioning just what do I believe? Did he really rise from the dead? Like I, like I said, he'd already, Jesus had already started to change my life. I had already said yes to him as Lord and Savior. It's all right to question some of these things, to ask some hard questions. And I concluded like, Everything that Jesus said in his word was starting to take place in me. Desires were changing. I was turning away from sin. I was walking with him with other people. And even some of these kind of facts that Matthew gives us here are, are really convincing. They're actually part of some of the big arguments for why we should really stop and believe get ourselves to the point where we believe Jesus rose from the dead. The fact that Matthew tells us here that women were the first people to encounter the risen Jesus is quite shocking. Like if you were just going to make kind of this conspiracy that Jesus rose from the dead, you would not 
write it like this. You would not say that women were the ones to go tell the male disciples. Because in this day, Jewish women would not ever make like kind of a public testimony in court. They would not really be considered to have that um, just role. They, you wouldn't actually listen to that testimony and consider it significantly. And Matthew is telling us here, it's the women that saw Jesus. And Jesus would appear to many other people, all of which at the time would have been alive for the most part. So there are some things that need to make us stop and think about the resurrection, especially if you're not sure what you believe about it. And so here are these women. Like, they are excited and joyful that they're running to go tell the male disciples what they've seen. That Jesus has risen, that he's appeared to them. Go, find him in Galilee. But first, right, there's a conspiracy to just derail this whole thing, to spread a lie. What we realize here is nothing can stop Jesus. Like, no well-funded conspiracy, no even, like, tomb that he was in for three days could hold Jesus. He beat death. So this is what we have to encounter first, that Jesus is alive. He is the one who conquered sin, Satan, and death. If you're still not sure what you really think about all of that, consider the Apostle Paul's life. It's pretty hard to deny the fact that there was a man named Paul who was actually, uh, sorry, he was actually um, persecuting the church. He was going after Christians, trying to stop this Christianity thing from spreading. He wanted to stop it in its tracks. And it's the risen Jesus Christ who appears to Paul and literally changes his life completely. He goes from persecuting the church to planting churches. He goes from actually being totally against Jesus and everything that Jesus is doing in the world to writing much of the New Testament. So you guys, there's always been opposition to the gospel. Like if you follow Jesus, Jesus told you the world is not going to be on your team. But nothing can stop Jesus and nobody is beyond the saving reach of our God. So we come now to the Great Commission. Verse 16. I'm going to read the whole rest of the chapter and we're going to go through it kind of piece by piece. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this is our meat and potatoes for tonight. This is the Great Commission. Jesus tells the 11 disciples, like this is the first time that they are there with the risen Jesus, something that you think maybe they would already grasp that he has all authority, that he just beat death, but he's telling them this because what he's about to tell them is super important. This is his final words. These are the marching orders for the disciples. 
and for all who would follow Jesus after these disciples. Jesus says, all authority. Like this isn't just like some authority. All authority in the universe belongs to King Jesus. He is the one who has just overcome sin, Satan, and death. Nothing can stop him. Jesus is king over all earthly kings and rulers. He is the king, and he deserves our worship. So what he tells us next in verse 19, to go, therefore, in light of his authority, to go and make disciples of all nations, it's not a suggestion. Like, if you've actually come to surrender to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then that means he gets to say what your ultimate purpose is, what your life is about. We often talk kind of about disciples in this way of like, disciples are those who, who want to and do know, love, and follow Jesus. Like a disciple is someone who knows, loves, and follows Jesus. I think that's a great definition. And we see here one of the commands for a disciple is actually make more disciples. Like you... If you're going to obey Jesus, and he's saying, make disciples and teach those disciples to obey me, that means you need to make disciples who make disciples, who make disciples. I don't know, like, if you would say, I've been discipled, but that's one of these things that's so clearly a part of Jesus' mission in the world, like, to teach other people to follow after him. To, to model what it looks like to follow Jesus. To be able to have a life that says, you can look at me and you can follow Jesus. That's, that's how this Christianity thing got to the other side of the world. That's how there are godly men and women that you can look at and go, I want to follow them because they follow Jesus. Because of people discipling. It's a slow process. But it is the way that Jesus builds his church. Maybe tonight, actually, one of the ways that you need to respond to this command, it's not a suggestion, this command from your Lord is to say, Jesus, who is somebody that's in my life that loves your word and loves your people that I should ask to disciple me so that I can make disciples more effectively? Because here's the thing, guys. If you are a disciple, if you're a follower of Jesus, your purpose is this purpose that you've received from the God of heaven, from Jesus, the one who has all authority. And he says, he sent you to proclaim him. He sent you to proclaim what he's accomplished, that he's defeated death. You are sent to proclaim the salvation that he accomplished. Like this is a past tense salvation. You get to go to people and you say, Jesus defeated death. He died for you. It's done. Receive him. So you could say, our purpose is to help people encounter the risen Jesus, or our purpose is to make disciples of all nations. Because that's what we see here. It's not just make disciples of some people that look like you or talk like you or act like you. It's people of every ethnic group. It's not nations like countries. You might be thinking nations, countries. I've been watching the Olympics. Anyone been watching the Olympics? Have you ever just like watch a event that you like I mean maybe you're into and you realize like there's someone from a country you've never heard of maybe okay all of you are I guess better at geography than me 
But I watched the Olympics. I realized there's countries I've never even heard of. You guys, there are far more unreached tribes and people groups, and they are not at the Olympics. And when Jesus is saying all nations, we actually have to do some homework to even figure out who are these peoples and these tribes and these people in far off unreached places that don't have the the love and the belonging and joy that we found in Jesus. Like who is going to take it to them? Ordinary people that follow Jesus, that take his great commission seriously, that make disciples who make disciples, who go, Jesus, you are my king. I've died to myself. I surrender to your purpose in this world, your mission in this world, to make disciples for your namesake. But how do you, how do you practically do this disciple-making thing? We're not going to like do a you know, boring talk on how to make disciples. I won't bore you. And I don't think that's a boring thing, but when it comes to like thinking about how do I even start to share the gospel with somebody, one of the one of the things that actually was just used by God in my life to help me start to share the gospel was Gospel 101. You guys will hear about Gospel 101 a little bit later tonight, how to sign up for that. But it's a super helpful class to just get you more kind of familiar with ways of sharing the gospel and language to use for being fluent in the gospel. But how do you practically make disciples? Like, if you're taking notes, write down, you do the proclaiming, God does the saving. You do the proclaiming, God does the saving. All you're tasked with doing is speaking of what God has done, sharing your God story and how God saved you through sending Jesus to live a perfect life and die a sacrificial death and, like we see in Matthew 28, raise to new life victoriously, to overcome the power of death. To give us power to say no to sin. So you do the proclaiming. God does the saving. In Romans 10, Paul says that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. People actually need to speak of Jesus for others to come to Christ. Maybe some of the first ways that you can start to disciple someone is to just open the Bible and go, I'm not super familiar with the Bible. Neither are you. Sweet, let's do this thing. Let's see what God has to say. Start in the book of Romans and go, let's meet four times. Let's get through the first eight chapters. Like, why not see what God does? Stepping out of your comfort zone going, do you want to read the Bible with me? Because I want to know this God who has offered me and started to give me love and belonging And joy, that he's the joy giver. And you guys, I've realized I actually start to to feel and experience the love of God and the belonging with the people of God in the family of God and his joy more when I share him. Like I can go weeks, even months sometimes, and I don't share the gospel. And then the next time I do, The thing that goes through my mind is, what am I doing? I love telling people about Jesus. And I'm telling you, I think you need to try it before you just go, that's not for me. 
And again, if you want to follow Jesus, this isn't the great suggestion. It's the great commission. It's a command. Have you ever asked yourself, like, why it's so hard to feel loved by God, that you belong amongst the people of God, that you have joy from God? Like, could it be because you've actually just not been participating in his mission? Not been living out the purpose that he's sovereignly assigned you when he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go! Like, it's not just like a suggestion. Go! And guys, maybe you've heard the kind of like, you know, scholarly debate, like, is it as you go or is it like literally like go the whole different direction, like leave your life? Yes. It's, it's do it. Like, certainly things about your life, when you come to Jesus, have to just drop. But you have to go. You have to go across the hallway. You have to go to your neighbor. You have to go to the people who will never hear of Jesus unless somebody goes. Again, Jesus says, make disciples of all nations. And this isn't some new idea. God has always been about bringing salvation to all the earth, bringing his love and his belonging and his joy to all the peoples of the world. Back in Genesis, God calls Abram, and he says this to Abram, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so you get to go to all the families of the earth, to the ones who've never heard of Jesus, and tell them how they can be blessed through Jesus, how they can receive his love and the joy and the purpose that they've been looking for in all of the wrong places. You guys, 86% of all Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists in the world will live and die and never hear the gospel. They'll never meet a Christ follower. They're never going to hear the gospel because they'll never even meet a Christian. Nobody's ever going to come to them and tell them the news that they need to hear. That God sent his son to offer them salvation freely by grace. How in the world could we just sit here with this news and keep it to ourselves? Like, are you sure God's told you to stay? I want to show us this map on the screen. It's called the 1040 window. And this is this window in which most of the unreached peoples in the world live in. It's called the 1040 window because this is between uh, latitude 10 degrees and 40 degrees. This section of northern Africa and uh, Asia, the Middle East. This is actually where most of these 86% of Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists live that will never hear of Jesus. I want to read this quote from the book, The Fuel and the Flame. Maybe some of you have read it. It says, Satan has a stronghold on this portion of the world like none other, intimidating the Christian church to such an extent that less than 10% of the world's missionaries dare go there to live and minister. The real obstacle to finishing the job of reaching these unreached people is not just a lack of money, knowledge, materials, or even opportunity. It is and always will be a lack of workers willing to go to one of these people groups and lay their lives down to bring the message of salvation and see it take root. 
Why, after 2,000 years of having the command to preach the gospel to every person, are there still so many people who have never once heard the name of Jesus? Why? Could it be because we treat the Great Commission like the Great Suggestion? What are you going to do with your life? Some people say, I want to make a difference in the world. I want to make my life count. Count for what? Make it count for something that lasts. Make it count for the one and only thing that lasts, the name of Jesus Christ. You guys, you are called to participate in this mission. Some of you should go on a summer team next year. Like, you should apply. You should just go, you know what? This seems clear enough. I'm just going to apply and see what happens next fall when it rolls around. Some of you should actually pray about, like, going to this 1040 window some way, somehow, for a significant portion of your life if you actually want to say Jesus is Lord and Savior. And if he calls you to stay, it doesn't mean you hang out with just people who look like you and talk like you when God's heart is for all the peoples of the world to come to know him. And there are people living in this city who are from places that are very unreached, places that are less than 2% Christian where there's so little gospel witness that actually the church can't get bigger because they just die before things get bigger. When it's less than 2%, a place is considered unreached. Are you going to lay your life down for what Jesus actually calls you to? To go, make disciples of all nations. What comes next? Baptizing them. Baptizing the disciples. Baptizing the ones that come to know and believe in Jesus. This is the first thing Jesus says to do when someone comes to know him. Like they should, they should get baptized. They should get dunked. They should go under the water to proclaim that they've died to themselves. They've literally died because Jesus died for them. And they go, that's the only right response. And they've come out of the water identifying with his victorious resurrection. Baptism is this outward symbol of this inward reality of the heart that Jesus changed their life, that he saved them. It doesn't make you saved. It shows the world that he saved you. So maybe for you, actually, baptism is the next step in being obedient to Jesus. Maybe you should talk about baptism with your connection group leader or a staffer soon and figure out when and how to do that. Ask them your questions. If you've already been baptized, this is my question for you. Don't you want to actually experience the joy of getting to baptize someone else, of getting to be a part of someone's life, disciple them, and get to actually that point where it's like time for them to get baptized. They want to get baptized because you've shown them just that that's the right response. That's being obedient to Jesus. And then the next thing, after Jesus tells us to baptize disciples, he says to teach them in verse 20. Teach them to do to do all that, sorry, teaching them to do to observe all that I have commanded you. If you're asking the question, like, is that really for me? I think that's understandable because the 
way that I kind of thought of ministry or teaching or whatever for quite some time growing up in the church was kind of like, that's just for like some pastor guy. That's for some guy. I'm not going to do that. But I kind of want to show you why I think this is actually for all people. Like Jesus is telling the disciples to do this and then for their disciples to go do all of this. couple texts quickly. You don't have to turn there. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. It's going to be on the screen. This is the Apostle Paul writing. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, like the pastor guy, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So their job is to actually just help you do your job, which is to teach and to do the work of ministry, to fulfill the Great Commission. Or in Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Paul's writing to all of these Christians in this church at Colossae. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So all Christians are called to this level of maturity to where you could actually teach another Christian, at least in some form. Teaching is part of your purpose if you follow Jesus. You don't actually need to have a job in ministry, and many of you won't, to participate in the Great Commission and even this teaching part. Like some of you are going to be elementary school teachers. Some of you are going to be, man, coaches. You're going to be engineers. In all of those workplaces, Christians need to go there and work for Jesus because all of life is for Jesus and be this gospel beacon, be this light in this world that needs to hear the gospel. Like when you go to class, when you go to work, you go as an ambassador, a messenger of the gospel. Or as the Apostle Paul would put it, you are the fragrance of the knowledge of God. J.D. Greer once said, do what you do best for the glory of God and do it in a place that is strategic for the mission of God. So do what you do. Do what you actually want to do in work. If you don't feel a call to ministry or you don't feel a call to make a complete life turn and go be a missionary, at least right now, which I'm praying some of you do, do what you do. Go back to being a student tomorrow. Go back to your job tomorrow and do it with the gospel propelling you, with the gospel on your tongue. Spread the fragrance of the knowledge of God. Spread the glory of God to people by sharing the gospel. I want to help you think through what it might look like later in life, after you graduate or after you're just ready to move out of mom's basement or after whatever, to do life strategically for the mission of God. There's a couple things. Number one is this. Move on a church plant in North America. So the SALT Network, some of you maybe have heard of SALT Network. We want to plant churches in all the major university cities in North America. Not just because that sounds like a great idea, but we see that as a means to reach the entire world and the unreached peoples of the world because university students are coming from all over the world to these big cities. And college students are the most eager to learn, most interested in Jesus at times because they're coming going, I 
don't really know what I think about Jesus. I had this church experience. Let's get into the Bible. Go on a major university church plant. As I was thinking through this one, I was actually kind of remembering a gal that I was in salt company with, a friend of mine who went on a church plant to Cincinnati, and now she is there doing what she does best in a strategic place. She is working at a pregnancy center, kind of like Bridgehaven, if you've heard of Bridgehaven here in Cedar Rapids, walking alongside women who more, more than likely have gotten pregnant unexpectedly and are literally thinking through, what am I going to do now? I am in a dark place. I don't know if I want to keep this baby. And she is bringing the light of the gospel. She is bringing Jesus into that situation. And God is using her. She moved because of the Great Commission, because she did not treat this as the great suggestion. Second one, I kind of talked about this one already, to go overseas for a summer. Two months is not that long of a time. Like, think about this. If every summer, Salt Company here was actually like super small because so many students, it just became this thing. So many students every year went overseas because of this 1040 window being massive. That 86% of Muslims, Buddhists, and Hindus are dying and never hearing of Jesus. Third, that you would go. That you would literally go, Jesus, this is a greater purpose. This is your purpose. You deserve worship. I'm going to go somewhere for a long period of my life, if not all of my life, because you're worth it. I'm going to go proclaim you because my purpose is this. Go to the 1040 window. You do evangelism that leads to more and more churches being planted into the rural areas that people don't even know exactly what language they speak or how many people live there, but you get to go on this adventure. I'm going to find these people and figure out how to love them and show them Jesus. Jesus doesn't just end this telling us to go do these things. He tells us that he is with us always to the end of the age. I think he tells us this because this is a crazy adventure. It's one that we don't actually see as that arduous in just our comfortable American life. When you go to a place that's never heard of Jesus, things are hard. When you go to a place that actually wants to maybe kill people who don't look like them or kill people that believe something else, that's when Jesus being with you always and holding you tightly and saying, you belong to me. I am with you always. I've put my spirit in your heart. I've given you an inheritance greater than anything this world has to offer. So if you're going to live a life obedient to the commands of Jesus, you need to do this. This needs to become your purpose, the deepest and most true thing 
that you're going to give your life for this purpose, it becomes the thing, yes, you need to do because Jesus is Lord. What he says, we do. And as we do it, we realize that's where we experience more of his love, more of the joy that comes through knowing him and walking closely with him. We do it because we love his glory more than our own. You guys, one day, this will all be accomplished. Like one day, the great commission is going to be accomplished. I just want you to close your eyes for a minute. As we come to the end here, I want you to to actually just hear these words from the book of of Revelation. It's this vision of what it's going to look like to be worshiping alongside of these people from every tribe and every language completely in love with Jesus, the one who paid it all. It's Revelation 7, 9. It says, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Jesus, you you are the king. Everything belongs to you. Our lives are yours. Enough of our plans being more important than yours. God, we want to see you worshipped among all the peoples. Jesus, you died for people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Send us. Use us. Give us a greater sense of a call and an ambition. Make our purpose in life your purpose. Thank you that we can come to you. Even on the the days that we feel like We've hardly done anything to deserve your love and that you, in that, remind us that that we are saved sheerly by and completely by grace. That your payment for our sin was enough, that it was all that was needed. Help us to respond to you, to worship you like you are the risen 
and ruling king, the good and powerful and mighty God.